There we go. Recording in progress. Hi, everybody. Um, again, if you'd like to uh, join our Q&A, uh, so you have interactive questions and answers about the classes we're learning, please uh, send me a WhatsApp at 516-526-2096. Okay. Here we go. Our class today is dedicated for number one, it is dedicated as it was our Tuesday night learning on his second yard site, which was the fourth of Nisan. His, uh, this is um, Rachel Sabol's husband, one of our Talmudot and a great man who did so much for Klal Yisrael. And Ruchi Ackerman is dedicating also Le'ilu Nishmas Yonasan ben Shaul, whose yard site was the third of Nisan. Okay. All right, here we go. So our question is, stay inside, hurry up and wait. Okay, what happened that night? We know that they couldn't leave. We know they had to eat pazon, but that they didn't actually go out till the morning. What went on? And we did start speaking about this in our Hilchas Deyashir. We, uh, I'll, we're going to get into something extremely sophisticated, complex, high level, okay? We're gonna take a deep dive into what is it, what it means when Hashem said, when Hashem described what, he, what was gonna happen, what happened that Hashem will pass through Egypt, avarti be'eretz Mitzrayim, ani v'lo malach, me without an angel, all the firstborns will die, Okay, all the there will be great judgments upon the gods. What happened? If you were there, what did you experience? Did was there a bright blazing light in the sky and everybody dropped dead? Were they did they die in their sleep? Well, the firstborns at midnight. When was midnight actually? That in itself is a problem. What were the Jewish people experiencing inside their houses? And again, the big question is why is the name of the holiday Pesach? What was the great Great. What, what, why did God have to pass over the houses? In other words, there was some sort of special protection. It's called Leil Shimurim. Why was there, why did God have to make sure that the Jewish people would not also die then at Marcus Bechoros? What was going on? Okay. Well, we're going to get into some deep stuff, particularly understanding what Hashem means when he said, Ani Velo Malach. And we're going to go deeper and further than we did in the Hilchos Deoshir. If you want to review, this idea, you can also go back, listen to the Hilchas Deus 9, which is on tour anytime, to get some more background for this. Okay, so look at the Pasuk here. In the Haggadah, we say, Hashem, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Lo al malach. Well, what even is a malach? And what does it mean not to have a malach? Okay. And not via any another force called the Saraf, which we're not going to get into. And not Shaliach, no messenger. That's Moshe. Moshe's name is not mentioned in the Haggadah, basically. Not through Moshe. This had nothing to do with Moshe. He was just, he was, he was a messenger and he wasn't even involved. Okay. He was also sitting in his house like everybody else. Okay. What does that mean? With his kavod and with his otzem. What does that mean? What are those words trying to say? It's like intense, like what is kavod and what is et otzen, okay? And what does it mean, shenemar, as it says in quotes, the Pasuk, avarti I will pass through. What does that mean? What does it mean that God passed through? Okay, and at that time, I will smite all firstborns in Egypt, animals and humans. 
And with all the gods of Egypt, I will do great mishpat, just in one. Mishpatim really means judgments. All right. So all these various um, phrases are coded in different colors. And you can see that we're going to start working through it color by color. So first of all, what does the idea ani velo al yudei malach? Ani velo malach. Me and not a malach. So first of all, let's go back and review what a malach is. All right. Um, there are malachim come up all the time in the Torah. One of the main ways that we that we inter, that we learn about malachim, okay, is that a malach appears to someone in a dream, in a vision, in a prophecy. Okay. Their prophetic experiences only take place through a malach, period. So we're going to learn about what a malach is, but one number one, when Hashem says, I'm coming, and it's not going to be through a malach, right away we mean there's going to be some sort of prophetic experience, and it's not going to be the normal way. Are we saying that the Egyptian firstborns had a prophecy? We're going to get to that. And were they prepared for it? Had they done all the necessary preparations like a normal Navi? Clearly not. And so there was some sort of interaction with God, not, not do a mala. Now, when we say that God speaks to people, appears to people, conveys messages to people exclusively through a mala, the reason, the, and we're going to learn the Rambam about it, there's so much, the whole Moranavuchim, section two, so many chapters are devoted to prophecy and what it means to experience a malach and a message, two different things, okay? What that even means. And Rambam makes it clear that 100% of the time, except with Moshe Rabbeinu, any experience of some sort of message from God exclusively is via what's called a malach and only Moshe can operate without a malach. So when Hashem says, I'm coming, not a malach, we're talking about some sort of experience of um, encountering something of God without the normal precautionary safety measures of a malach. Okay, so how does a malach work and what is a malach? So first of all, we've learned many times, it's not in the notes, like Gemara Chagiga says, when Hashem speaks, it creates a malach, meaning, what do we mean when we say Hashem speaks? Let's break that down. So when I'm speaking to you, I know what I'm going to say. I, I already, you might get wonder, you might get some glimpse because you saw what I kind of said already in the notes, but I know what I'm about to say, but you don't really know what I'm about to say. So when I speak to you, my ideas are conveyed into your minds. So what I'm thinking now you can know, that's called speech. So when it says that Hashem speaks, okay, it means that what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants, what a Kaddish Baruch Hu intends, what is true in God's mind, we can get to know. So a Malach is a force. It is not literal. There's no such thing as an angel with wings. It's all Mashalim. There's no, it's not a being that you can see with, um, that has, that has um, features, liter literal features. There's no such thing. Okay, rather, it is a force in operation that conveys to us the Ratzon Hashem. And that's why they all have the name Kel at the end, like Rafael, Gavriel, Michael, 
Okay, so for example, as we have learned, Rifael means when we see something, we have a wound and it heals. We say, wow, that's who's doing that? How does it know? Where does this come from? It's just there's a force in the world called repair, healing. That means when we see it in operation, and that's called the Malachorfal, means we now know that one of God's plans, intentions, desires, okay, for the design of the world is that there should be repair and healing. And it's God's power in the world that I'm, that's called the Malach Rafal. Okay. It doesn't just mean repair physically, but there's spiritual repair. It's called Shuva. Okay. So first of all, a Malach is a force that conveys um, that, that is, that is a, the Malach is a force put into the world. Now, if that force links up to us, like it, healing, okay, or Gavriel, Gavura, we find renewed strength, like in the Holocaust, to get up in the morning and think tomorrow's going to be a better day and try to live, okay? If that force links into us, because sometimes it's not linked to us, but if it links onto us, if it locks into us, it means we've encountered or made contact with a Malach, okay? We are now in touch with a Malach. And when we make contact with it, Okay, there are many different types of malachim. In terms of nevuah, we make, let's talk about it like this, we make contact with the capacity in the world, like a force field that allows us to, our minds to expand and perceive things that we normally can't perceive. But first, you got to make contact with this force field of connection, which was called a malach. And then once you're connected, messages start to flow. Okay, so it's like you pick up the phone and then you hear what the person's saying to you. But first, you got to pick up the phone. You got to open the phone. Okay. So, what a Navi does, and Ramam spends many, many, many chapters. The, bene, the good news is that the secret weapon, Heshi, has been teaching slowly and carefully this section of Mordavuchim for over a year. And we're going through it slowly. So, you're, you know, what, what, uh, what you're hearing, what I'm, what I'm able to teach is thanks to the secret weapon who's been illuminating this and carefully going through this. The secret weapon is my husband. You probably know Heshi. So, all right. So now, um, Raman has a name for this force field, this malach that we make contact with. Okay, and it's called the seichel hapoel, which is the it's a it's a mind, an active mind, so to speak, an active intellect is how it's translated in English that we make contact with. And a Navi makes contact with it. And then there's a flow called the Shefa that starts to flow. And depending on the Navi and depending on Hashem's desire, what, they, what, what messages Hashem wants to give, that's going to be the content of the Navuah. It's different for different Navim. It's different at different in the same Navi and different Navuahs. It all depends on what Hashem wants to flow. Now, just making contact with that force field, okay, takes a tremendous amount of preparation, huge preparation. And it begins with Tikkun Hamidos, fixing all our Midos. By the way, for example, the Ramchal, after he was banned from writing Kabbalah and he chased all over the world and everybody tried to, basically, they were terrified. They were, had PTSD from Shabzai Tzvi, basically. So they wouldn't let him write Kabbalah. So he write themselves to Sharm. You think it's, we all think it's Tikkun Hamidos, you know, all the good Midos. It's not, it's, it is. But what it really is, it's a guidebook to how to get Ruach HaKodesh. But you got to go through Tikkun Hamidos, you got to get the Midas perfect. So Ramam says, first of all, the Midas have to be perfect. The person's ego, or no, nothing can get in the way so that their mind can be open because they're humble 
and no one's more humble than Moshe, and they are, there's no personal agenda, and there's no distortions, and there's nothing, no agendas, nothing, nothing, the perfect midos, they, they see themselves as a conduit for God. So, so Rambam talks about this, everyone who sees a malach, is there, are they called a navua, or navi, do they, what are, there's different types of experiences. So yeah, there's tons of questions, chapters and chapters on the Rambam in this. Um, so, you look at 241, 242, 3, 4, 5, you'll see all these things. Okay, in more. Now, um, now, um, what were we just saying? Was it, I, was, I just lost my train of thought. What was I about to say? To oh, yeah, humbly. All the good midos. In addition to that, the Rambam says, deot um, nechonot. You have to, the mind has to be pristine. It has to only learn Torah perfectly with no, no personal distortions. The person has to have their mind has to work completely and perfectly. The imagination cannot interfere with any seichel. There cannot be any expectations, some assumptions, anything that the dimyon build, you know, whips up. Okay. Now, once a person makes themselves ready, the question of what degree of nevuah, what is that in Hashem's hand? But we, the person can, can get to that state where they technically can make contact with this force field called the malach or the seichel apoel, the capacity to receive messages that Hashem did embed into the world and then get messages. So number one, I want you, we're just going to look at Rambam 241, okay? Um, and we're going to, um, where is this? 241 and then 236. It says 26, but it's 236. So Rambam says, let's just read it in the Hebrew. Da, you have to know this. Every time the Navi speaks about the fact they receive prophecy. Some say Amalek spoke to me. They'll admit it. Amalek appeared to me. Okay. But some say God appeared to me. Okay. Don't make a mistake. It was through a malach. They just think they're just saying this because they know everybody knows it already. Nobody's actually going to think that it wasn't through a malach. Okay. Below suffix. already wrote that when it says Vayomer Hashem. Okay. It says Vayomer Hashem. Um, what is this? I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me just see. Oh, it's talking about Rivka. When Hashem spoke to her, it doesn't mean Hashem directly means Al Malach. But then he gives many, many examples. And you have to know every time it says, that a Malach spoke to a person, that they made contact with this force field. What happened was they had a dream or a vision. So let's go further. It, for a Malach to speak to somebody, okay, the person has to make contact with this force field, which is a very overwhelming experience for the physical body, traumatic, and the body loses its ability to control itself, some sort of, I don't know if it's a seizure or just a loss of ability for the body to be in touch with itself because the mind is in, like in another place. And then the person falls into a sleep, talks about tardema, 
but somehow it's a halom or a mara. There's lots and lots to, 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 to dig down in this, but in general, it is always through some sort of trance, some sort of dream, some sort of vision. Okay, so what is this vision? All right, so, um, so look at the next one, 236. Da, the, the essence of prophecy, umuhuto, and the mahu, what it is, is the following. What happens is once we make contact with this force field, there's a flow. Okay, now how does the flow come? Through what's called the Seichel Hapoel. Okay. To the rational centers first, and afterwards it influences the imagination. So what happens is like this. Hashem sends a message to every Navi, this except Moshe. The problem is that the Navi's mind cannot possibly process the new ideas, the epiphanies, or more than that, the insight that they are receiving. The intellect cannot process it. So it goes into the intellect. It embeds itself into the intellect almost without the, pro the Navi processing it. And then it emerges in the Navi's imagination as some sort of image. We gave a mushal in um, the Elchazdeus class called synesthesia. A person can be told, be asked a very complex mathematical question with long numbers being multiplied or divided or exponentially, uh, right? And they don't process it intellectually, but their mind absorbs it and it appears to them as a landscape with colors and, and shapes. You know about this, right? So they see an image and they can, re they can actually tell you from the image what numbers we're talking about, what the number is. Oh, that number is 19,057. Okay, so we have a, a sim, a sim, something like that where a idea goes into the intellect, but here's the key that we have to understand what happened to Yisrael Mitzrayim. The intellect cannot process it. It's like seeing, all right? It's like seeing, uh, being inside a nuclear reactor. There's light that's too bright for their eyes. There's forces that we can't absorb. What happens is that the brain takes it in, the brain of a Navi that has been purified, that is, works perfectly, then that information transfers into the imaginative centers, and then the Navi sees an image, a Mara. Understand? Like, like we see a dream, we see images. Now we know today, Freud started this idea that it is, ideas and thoughts that actually emerge as images in a dream, correct? Thoughts we might even not, not know we thought of, fears we didn't know we had, and they emerge as, 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 as sort of stories in a dream or images in a dream, right? The subconscious comes out as some sort of, something we can relate to, some sort of experience that we think we're going through. Is that interesting? Okay, does this make sense so far? No, but just, this is, I'm telling you process. This is the process of Nivua. I can't tell you how it feels, whatever, this is the process. So can you imagine, what if Hashem appears without a mawa? What is that gonna be like? In other words, no one's ready for it. You don't first latch on to like an intense force and then slip into a trance and then have ideas that are too big enter our minds when we're sort of passive and then and then gently 
safely emerge as images and scenes that we can now relate to. What if there's no malach? What do you think that would be like? In a way, in a way, but it was like, well, Moshe's referred to as not having a malach. But what is Moshe? So what would that be like? Suddenly, spontaneously, you're in the middle of a nuclear reaction without preparation, without the, the gear, without the capacity to absorb it. What happens? Maybe that's when Moshe had a Karen or. Well, Moshe's Karen or is, is not, no, it's not exactly this, but what is similar, more similar, is Panim El Panim. Moshe was different. Now, Rambam will tell us now, I didn't, we're not going to go through Yisodei HaTorah, but I put it here exactly for this reason. To the, Rambam distinguishes Moshe from everybody else. Moshe was able to experience a message from Hashem, no malach. He didn't have to lock into anything. He was already in that state. He didn't have to make contact. He was already there. And it didn't go into his brain and then go into his imagination. And he saw scenes, none of that. He didn't need mashalim. He didn't need a mashal. It went straight into his brain and he grasped it. His brain was able to perceive it. The burning bush was a mashal or the reality? Oh my gosh, Ramam goes on and on and on and on. Okay. If you want to really know what the Ramam says, or whenever it says Hashem appeared to people, he says, other than Moshe, always in a dream. You know what that means? Avraham and the three angels, that was a dream. Everything was a dream. Everything was a vision. Everything was a malach and a dream. Okay. But that's very, and Ramban has a little bit of a different approach, but even Ramban doesn't think Avraham saw three people. Avraham saw something in the in the physical world that nobody else could really see, maybe some force field that he actually saw something. According to Rambam, it was all in a vision. According to Rambam, he actually saw something that is physicalized. But even what he saw, no one else would have been able to see it. Is it Sarah also? Hmm? Is Sarah also Same thing. According to Rambam, it's just a slight distinction between them. Both say that you had to be on the highest level to either physically see something, like maybe imagine if you could actually see gravity for a second. Or according to Rambam, you don't actually see with your eyes. It's in your head. Oh no, I don't know. I think people dream. Ah, uh, so this is Rambam goes all into it, but the Navi knows it was when it's Navua, because he knows when he when he connects to that force field, he knows what that feels like, and he knows. And then this time, what is a Navi Sheker and all that stuff. Okay. But in any case, okay. Esther, so what do we do in terms of Lot? Okay, he was not on the level. Certainly his wife wasn't on the level. Correct. There's a many examples. Avimelech. We're not going into it now. Okay. Uh, that Ramban holds, uh, you don't have to, not every encounter leads to Navua. Okay. Sometimes a person can, um, and not every, uh, it's very big, but um, sometimes, okay. But let's just stay on this for now. All right, now. So let's go back. So first of all, we already are getting the sense that when Hashem says, I will appear in Egypt below all Yedei Malach, we're getting a sense that something happened which the human mind was not able to process. And it was so overwhelming that it literally killed them. Okay. And it doesn't even necessarily mean something outside of them that they saw. Imagine if all the filters in a person's mind suddenly are removed. Do you know, like, for example, in autism, they are hypersensitive to every stimuli. Certain filters are not there. Some people don't have filters 
from memory and they remember everything and, and, and it's, it, it makes them insane. What if all the filters were removed? Do you understand we only use 4% of our brain? What if all those filters that allow us to forget, to, 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 um, to tune out everything, to see more, what if they were removed? Could there be something as a mind being short-circuited and having a total meltdown? Yeah, something like that. So in their beds and then something happens and probably the Egyptians didn't quite understand what was going on, but there was a scream that emerged that the Torah says there never was such a scream and there never will be such a scream. Something, not pain, not suffering, not misery, something totally different. So there was some sort of experience that is, was so shattering to the mind that it was not, you, nobody could survive it. The Bukharim couldn't survive it. We'll talk about the Bukharim in a second. Now look, and now let's go further. What does it mean I will pass through? Okay, the Avarti, we're gonna talk about Bukharim in a minute, but first, the Avarti Be'eretz Mitzrayim. What does it mean I will pass through? Now, Rambam says in, this is more 121, figuratively, okay, the word to pass, it denotes the appearance of the light of the Shekhinah, some sort of not physical light, but enlightenment, no filters, all right? And the prophets perceive their prophetic visions, okay, which, which the prophets perceived in their prophetic visions, as it says. Now, it goes back to the bris ben Habsar. okay? Look at the Pasuk. Okay, the sunset. This is all a big muscle for Avraham, also in a dream, in a deep sleep, in a tzadema. It's very dark and a smoking oven, a flaming torch. Um, all right. And it, it refers to this, right? These are all prophetic visions. All right. That pass through the pieces. Okay. Rambam says this took place in a prophetic vision. For the narrative commences and a deep sleep fell upon Avram. The verb has this later meaning, and I shall pass through the land of Egypt, meaning I shall reveal myself in all similar, similar phrases. So what this means, va'avar, means I shall be revealed. So we know that, and it was referred to in Egypt, referred to in the Brisbane of Sarum, which was a prediction of Egypt, okay? That just like Hashem passed through these, the, the fire and all that passed through the pieces, Hashem will pass through Egypt. So passing through indicates, passing through indicates a revelation that, that that sort of um, that sort of like um, I guess I don't I mean a good word is but over it it, uh, it 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 meets up with a person's mind suddenly passes through so to speak and what was the ramification of this of this removal of filters okay by Moshe and Moshe told look now go down to go the word over and boer interesting interesting that's interesting so now look at shamos 1146 can you repeat what she said that bo over and bo air are the same letters i involve base race and base above ein race very interesting like this now was bo air it's very interesting um okay but yomer moshe and this is what moshe tells par koamar hashem approximately chatos, so we're not going to get into that right now. 
Ani yotze, I'm coming out, coming out of where? The Soch Mitzrayim, in the midst of Egypt. Somehow right in the middle of Egypt, something will emerge. So it's within the, in the, the, the minds of the firstborn or the some sort of experience, within them, something opens up inside of them. Hashem comes out of hiding, so to speak. And there's no preparation. And they didn't um, link up to, as we said, this, the maloch, to which allows this to be conveyed in a, in a safe way, okay? Rather, Hashem did away with the malach and did away with everything and just opened up somehow the perception, okay? And look what Moshe says, umeis kol bachar, we're going to talk about that in a second, the firstborn, all firstborns, mibachar paro from paro to the shifcha, to the maid that's, um, who's behind the millstones and every animal, now look at this. There's going to be a, a scream, a cry. There was never any such a thing. And afterwards will never be again. Some sort of um, experience that is not even describable, but it 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 um, it um, utterly. Uh, overwhelms, I don't even know the right words, shatters any, whatever, you know, the, the, the human being, because we know if a mind uh, is forced to absorb something of so much power, so much radiation, so much light, so much under, and it can't do it, a person's mind, you can go out of your mind. Okay. Now, Interesting. So what's happening here? Let's go, let's take another piece. So the, 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 the Egyptian firstborns, okay. Um, who are they? Why is this happening to them? Okay. And what, what about the Jews at the same time? If Hashem is going to come out in the midst of Egypt like that, are the Jews red? Are any Jews on that Madriga besides Moshe? What about the Jewish firstborns? How are they going to survive it? And the answer is they can't survive it. Nobody could survive it. So what happened to the Jews? So in order to survive this, there was a few things the Jewish people had to do. And the Pasuk, if you look back in the Pasuk, it literally says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to guard you. I'm going to protect you from what's, what I'm about to do in Egypt. So that it doesn't destroy you. Okay, so first of all, they had to take a carbon Pesach. And the carbon Pesach, and this is what we're going to get into, we're going to actually go to the red. And the carbon Pesach was, as everybody knows, a little sash sheep. All right. And they, in full view, uh, and this is what they had to do, to be prepared not to be overwhelmed by this and to survive this. So they had to take a carbon Pesach. Because Moshe said, I'm doing it. this is what's going to happen. They're like, how are we going to survive? So they're certainly not on the level, right? And they knew it. So he says, okay, you're going to take a carbon Pesach. And the carbon Pesach, everybody knows this famous Maral, Zohar, the Rizal, who was the god of the Egypt. Okay, I actually was in Egypt. So they had a lot of local gods. And then they had the big chief god, which we're going to get to. And the Seah was not the main god of Egypt. And some people think so, but certainly not. Hathor was one of the main gods. Amun, Amun-Re, Hathor was a cow, actually. 
But the Se was a local god. They had many local gods. Every locality had their little guardian, you know, their little god. So they took, nevertheless, they took the god of that area where they lived. And in full view of everybody, they went and they slaughtered it, saying, we're out of it, we're out. We do not buy into your ideology anymore. And we are utterly deconstructing, we're slaughtering, your, we're, we are distinguishing ourselves. It was an act, extreme act of, first of all, dangerous. Second of all, it was decisive. So we are distinguishing ourselves from you, period. And the way we're distinguishing ourselves is that we are buying into the concept of a single God, controller of everything. And this single God, here's the main message of all of the whole story, created every human being in his image. And therefore, it is the ultimate violation of God himself to dehumanize other people, what you've done to us as, and made us into slaves. It is the, the message of Isaiah's Mitzrayim is because there's one God and we're all God's children and you're all gonna see that, you cannot do what you're doing to us. It is a divine rage, a divine protest against the violation of the Tzel Melikim. So what is very modern and current today. Okay, look at the Shalah Kodesh. The Shalah says, bringing the Zohar, that when the Jewish people did this, when they roasted it in full view, not boiled it, covered up, okay? With its legs and head. And the head of the carbon Pesach had to, be, had to be folded over on top of the knees, like a fetal position. And they roasted it publicly. And they said, we are rebirthing ourselves. We're like this fetus, we are out. We're starting, a, we have a whole new self-concept, okay? And there was a smell of the roasting God of Egypt, okay? And the Egyptian deity was being treated in this fashion, okay? And then they ate it, frafikoman, meaning they ate it when they were finished with their meal, leisurely, for fun, not because they're hungry, not because they had nothing else to eat, just to show we're eating, you know, we're consuming what you believe is, right? So for all these reasons, the Torah says, Beloheihem Shafatim. So first of all, the, the role of the Jewish people in the appearance of God, that the gods of Egypt will be judged is that the Jewish people themselves participated in that. And it was the participation in that that was part of their, there was the protection. Hashem says, I saw you you'll live by your blood, the blood of the brismila and the blood of the carbon Pesach. We're not gonna talk about brismila now, but it has huge implications. So that's number one. That's where Hashem said, I judged all their gods. That was the Jewish people were involved according to the Zohar. Now, now, what did they do with the blood of the Korban Pesach? They put it on their doorpost inside for themselves to say, this is what we just committed ourselves to. We are different. We are distinguished from the Egyptians. We know that there's a single God. The Maral explains how every part of the Korban Pesach had to be one one year old, fully, no bones, bones broken, eaten together as a group, eaten um, at the same time. You couldn't leave anything over. Everything was one, roasted so it wouldn't fall apart. We just committed to the concept of one God above all the gods. And, um, and we put the, the blood on the doorpost. Now, what happens is that protected them. And in the more, after this moment of whatever happened, to the Egyptians, the Jewish people were saved from. Then, then they walked out of their doorways in the morning. Okay, the Gemara brought the Gemara here. They, the event happened at midnight, but they walked out. They walked out safely. 
through their doorways and they walked out to see what went on. And what went on was people probably didn't know how to explain it. How could it be? And then only the firstborns all had some sort of experience that blew out all their minds and they all died in their beds and people started figuring it out. So they, then they had, a, and, they, and this experience of eating it quickly and then going out in the morning is called bechipazon. We're gonna talk about that in a second, rushed. What was, it, what was the rush factor? All right. So um, look, at, look at the orange now. All right. Bechvodo uba'atzmo is associated with the chipazon, with the speed. Okay. What happens here? So now we're getting into an idea from Moshe Shapiro, an idea from a Pinchas Friedlander. Okay. So the famous idea that everybody heard why they had to go out so quickly, right? What you heard the idea? Tell me, what was it? What was it? Why did they or Hashem have to take them out so quickly? No, you've heard the maybe because they were meant to Tuma and they would have fallen too low. That's a famous idea brought down by the Rizal. They're in the 49th level of Tuma, and one more second they would have been lost. So I put a link in the notes to a Hebrew only shear that Rav Moshe gave on this subject. It's all in Hebrew. Beyond, it's classic for Moshe, super deep. If you want to try it, go for it. Okay. But I'm not going to give you the, of course, repeat the whole thing, but here is an idea. Moshe brings the Leshem, El Yashav's great grandfather, greatest Makobo of our time, of our genera previous generation. And Esther? Yes. In terms of the Chipazon, it, it is, I think it, to me, I'm confused because. We have to eat the carbon Pesach the Chikazam with the Makas. The Makas the Chorus was, is, was the Chastos. And we didn't go out until the next that. day. I know, we just said that. So, so yeah. where's the Chikazam? That's what I'm explaining. I just. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, we asked that question. Okay. So now, um, what happens? So the Leshem explains that we have to understand how Tumor works. And what the essence of Tumah actually is, is a very deep idea. Ready? See if we can try to, the royal we can try to make, try to convey it in a way that, that is, that makes sense. So, um, the same reason that the Egyptians died, the firstborns died from this overexposure is the exact same force that could throw the Jews into the highest state of Tumma. What does that mean? What that means is the word Tame, you've heard this many times, Rav Moshe talks about it in this show. Oh, yes. Please don't, uh, please mute yourselves guys. Um, so Ta'atum means, you know, blocked, filters. Tahar, Tahes, and Tzadi, sometimes interchangeable, is like Tzaharayim, Tahar, Toher, transparent, see-through. When a Kodesh Baruch Hu takes away the filters, okay, for the Egyptians, it blows out their circuits totally, okay? But the Jewish people had just come through a year of Makos, a year of Nisim, a year of Nevoah, they weren't like the Egyptians. They just did the, the, the Chakram Pesach. 
they were much closer. So what is the risk? And why did Hashem have to pass over their houses and protect them and all that? What is the risk, theoretically, of having those filters removed if you can handle it? What is the risk if you can handle it? Well, Ramosha brings the idea, he talks about the four that went into Pardes into the highest realms of the upper spheres and three didn't make it out safely. And Acher became an Apikorus, why? Because if a person can even begin, even on some small level to absorb the concept of the onlyness of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, if they can even absorb it a little bit, it means that in some way they have an attachment to it, they have a connection to it, they have access to it. Whenever we have access to something that we can relate to, that in any way we can relate to, we start relating to it. We start relating to it. And what happened with Acher, you know what I'm talking about, right? The one who went into the highest levels of the Pardes, into the highest spheres, and through, through a prophetic experience, and he became an Apikorus. What is happening here? If a person can relate to the idea that there's only one God and God is all powerful, even a little bit, they can really experience it and survive, even on some level. Okay. What begins to happen is they say, oh, if I can experience it and I can survive it, I'm part of it. I'm, I'm like it. I'm connected to it. And maybe I'm also like that. Maybe I'm also like God. I could do whatever I want. It's exactly the nachash, which is why I'm not going to get into this, but listen, listen to the shear. Moshe threw down the staff and it became a nachash. Moshe became terrified and ran away. It could happen that a person, if they could enter into a domain that is way beyond them and they can survive it, they can absorb it. They say, oh, if I can understand this, I get it. Then it's part of how I think. And then the danger is that a person will begin to think that they have more power, that they have the ability to live on their own terms like God himself. That is the 50th level of Tama, meaning seeing the level of Tahara, transparency, being able to even grasp a little bit that I get this, I can, I can experience this, will throw them into a state of the ultimate Tama, which is, oh, now I get to make my own decisions. I get to believe my perspective is right. Because if it was too big for me, I wouldn't even be able to, to perceive it at all, to experience it at all. I, it would blow out my mind. But if I can, under, it's like, think about this. Think about a teacher, okay? If it, what sometimes when we, for the Egyptians, if you, if you teach a child, if you try to teach somebody who does not have the tools to absorb what you're teaching and you try to explain to them ideas that are way bigger than they can absorb, it doesn't, it's not just they can't hear it, it ruins their mind. They don't know how to think. It distorts everything else. It's all confusing. It's not just that they don't know what you're saying. It makes them not know how to process anything because they're getting bits and pieces that don't all come together and they don't know how to synthesize it and they don't know how to apply it and therefore it just corrupts their mind completely. Think about that. That's why Hashem likes that after the first two Gibbrows, they ask. Very good. We're getting in, in very good. So what happens here 
okay, where HaKadosh Baruch says, I am going to be revealed and I want to protect you from it. Totally. You cannot experience this because if you experience it, even a little bit, even if it doesn't blow your minds out like the Egyptians, that's, that's not what I'm afraid of with the Jews. I'm afraid you're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. God is all powerful. I experience God. I must be safe in God's presence. I must be godly. I must be also like this. And that's what Acher did. Acher said, I get to do what I want. He became an Apicorus. I see things my way. And it's true. He took upon himself a godly power that no human beings I do. God said, you can't do that. You're too close. So what does it mean? So where is, I, it sounds to me like this is all a very dangerous process. Where, what's the process that we're talking about that's so dangerous? I missed something in the process here. So you're going to have to review this class a bunch of times because right, like I said in the beginning, this is extremely, um, you know, extremely nuanced and deep. And it takes a lot of thinking about these ideas to try to understand them. And you know, even now we're struggling to just um, articulate them. But what I'm trying to say is that according to the lesson, when it says that had, that had they stayed, had they experienced this, Okay, what Egypt was experiencing, had they been able to experience this, it would have utterly destroyed them. They would have become people that lost themselves in their own over, over um, inflated sense of self. Don't forget who the Jewish people were, what had been happening to them. And then they would be in the ultimate state of disconnection from God because it's the kind of state of disconnection where you think you know everything, you are you are all-knowing and all-powerful, get to do what you want because you're just like God. And in fact, it's the extreme opposite, okay? Now, Sorry, just- Meaning you have to take your Ani- Out of it. It really means that Hashem is going to be the top of the but we're, what we say, Ani, is ourselves. Yeah. And we have to make sure that we don't, but we, but this is saying you have to, we have to take ourselves out of the, um, out of like, this is really Eitzadash is, is what we're really, you know, similar, that we have to take ourselves out of the ultimate tumult, which is saying, oh, you know, we're on a totally different Madriga. We have Nisim. We saw Gilo Shechina. We get it. We get it. Remember Korach? I get this. I don't need you, Moshe. I get it all. I know what I'm doing. Okay. The first. Esther, can I ask you something about that? Like really Hold, on. Quick? Hold on one second. Why only the firstborns? The firstborns in Egypt, after going through a year, okay, the firstborns in Egypt were the spiritual leaders, were the leaders of, that's how the ancient societies were set up, leaders of households, leaders of clans, leaders of tribes, leaders of, they represented each one was a was a you know an elder, and therefore was they were the ones who um, had influence in the country, and the fact that they did not protest, the fact that this was going on, the fact that this whole ideology was not deconstructed, they had responsibility more than anybody else. And what a Kurdish Baruch wanted to do was show them that you don't know, you, you're you know you you you're not able to handle the truth. You, you don't have the kalim, and I'm going to impose the truth upon you. And it's, you're, you're so not ready for it, which is your fault. You're so disconnected from, it, which is your fault that it's going to destroy you. 
but the Jewish people are not. So Moshe says, how could it be there on the 49th level of Tumult? They just had a year of Nisim. It means that they were, that there, it means that the shift, okay, shift from being blocked to clarity is a very dangerous transition. Because if a person is not ready for it, because Rabbi Kiva survived the experience, but Acher didn't. And Benazai, um, Benazai um, what happened to the other four? One died, one went crazy, and one became, and one became an Afrikaans. Right. So if you're ready for it, it's okay, because you don't make the mistake that now you're God. That's why Moshe, who was ready for it, is always referred to as Anav, Bechol Beisi Neman, he's the most loyal, trustworthy. But a regular person, it can make them totally go, you know, lose perspective. So Hashem says, I cannot let you experience this. So if you look in the Emek Dover, all right, he says essentially that the experience was so overwhelming that the firstborns of the Jews also, theoretically, it would have also been too much for them to handle, but a different sort of too much, according to the lesson, different sort of too much, and therefore Hashem protected them. How does Hashem protect them? He said, this is how you're going to protect yourself. You take the corn pace up. You're going to say, I'm devoted to one God. You're going to make it in a fetal position, and you're going to realize, you're going to put the blood on your door, and you're going to say, I am going to be born into a new consciousness safely. It is not going to be imposed upon me in a blast so overwhelming that I can't survive but I'm going to slowly and in a, in a careful fashion, guided by God, going to be initiated into what it means to be in a relationship with Hashem. And it took, then they went out in the morning and they took 49 days till they got to Har Sinai. Then they were already much more ready for it. Then they were able to, and even then they had a moment, but it was also overwhelming, exactly. And, um, and, um, and this is the great, great chesed and what we call the holiday Pesach, that Hashem passed over our houses and saved us. You see that? Right? Pesach, why are we eating Pesach? Passed over our houses and saved us, saved our, our, us, because we were saved from an experience that was overwhelming in a different way. It would have thrown us into the ultimate tumma. The ultimate tumma is when a person cannot distinguish themselves, their finite being from God takes, a, to, a, a, takes for themselves godly rights and powers to decide everything, do whatever they want, and has lost all concept of, a, of, um, of the relationship with God. And it will lead to every single, every immoral, corrupt, and horrible behavior. It's the ultimatum. Now, interestingly enough, and then we'll take your questions, okay? In Egypt, according, there's two different theories. I was just there, so it's, I literally saw what I'm about to tell you, which is just pretty mind-boggling. So there's two theories about when the exodus happened. One is Ramses II, but one is Amenhotep III, and King Tut and all that, okay. Now, Amenhotep in the Karnak Temple in Luxor, which is famous, you can Google it. He has a whole scene on one of the walls of his immaculate conception. Christianity ripped it off from ancient Egypt. And in the scene, he was, God basically had a child, which was him, okay, a whole long thing. And therefore he was of God. 
And Chazal say about Paro, he used to say about himself, Li asitani, the Nile is mine and I made myself because he's part God, because God has him, so he's God. So there literally was a Paro, Google it, Amenhotep Third. he literally said this. It's actually in, on the walls in Egypt. So what he was saying is, and this is what God didn't want, this was the 49th level of Tumah that he got there. He said, I am the creator of all the forces, of all the lower gods, therefore I could do what I want. Therefore there's no right and wrong other than what I say. I am divine. There is no distinction between me and God. This is the tomb of Mitzrayim. Tumah doesn't mean that they had bad behavior. It's in here. It leads to bad behavior. How do you think of yourself? Thinking of yourself as indistinguishable from God is the ultimate level of Tumah. How do you get there? You could get there by just deciding that you're going to perpetrate this hoax upon humanity like the Egyptians did and like the Christians did. And everybody believes it. They said it. They said, this is what happened. The immaculate birth. Meh. And everyone buys into it. And they go, oh my God, he's God. He's God. He's God. And everyone bought it. Millions of people bought it. The Egyptians did the same thing. Yeah, but that's not that I'm indistinguishable from God. Rather, I channel God's kochos through me. That's the big difference. By the way, this is the secret of when Moshe threw down the staff and it turned into a nachash. The secret is that the staff is a vehicle. Moshe was like the staff. Moshe was the conduit. Moshe was the shaliach. Moshe was the one through whom Hashem worked. But that staff, Moshe, could turn into a nachash. You could start thinking, I am God myself. And that's why Moshe doesn't appear in the Haggadah. What we're saying is this. Let's break it practical now. The highest level of Tumah is when a person loses perspective because of their closeness to God, because of their spiritual capacities, like Moshe, because they are deeply enmeshed in God's mind, God's thoughts, God's will, God's rutzel. They're very, very great. They're very close, that they can begin to think of themselves as having some privileges of God himself, because God is, you know, I, I, I can, if I'm, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm um, not synonymous as much as, um, you know, you might, how a person might think of you, like a, a uh, extension of God. That's the ultimate tumor. So the Jewish people, what we're saying, the Leshem says is they were so, they, it was really, they were in danger of seeing too much, too soon. Sounds like the Itzadas, doesn't it? Too much, too soon, so Hashem protected us. So let's put it all together, okay? What happens in Mitzrayim is something, it seems to be, that happens in the minds of people. So that's what it seems to be. Some sort of experience, as we talked about, for the firstborns who were responsible for having leadership, understanding, a path that was, was an experience that must have been so, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but the Torah describes a, a cry that has never been heard on earth before, a totally different type of shriek of perception, okay? We don't know what it is. It was total, it was perceiving too much about this whole world. Sometimes we use the muscle of the transparency of the, of, the, of, the, of the uterine wall, but it would almost be more. It would be like, I'm trying to think of a muscle 
God cutting open the, the abdomen and pulling the baby out before it's ready to be born, just like that, Bin, and like throwing it into the world and say swim or sink or do like function. It can't, okay? Cutting the umbilical cord and just or like that way before it's ready, okay? Am Yisrael, Hashem says, no, no, I'm giving you a birth, right? You're going to go through the blood on the doorway like a birth, right? You're going to go the normal way. You're going to go step by step. But the, the idea is that at that moment, when it's happening out there, okay, you have to sit ready to go and you have to eat in some sort of haste. You have to understand what is the haste part? Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. There's so many parallels, by the way. What did she say? That eating, also by the Gan Eden. Yeah. Yeah, it was sinful at the Gan Eden. So one of the ideas of the Chippazon, okay, is be aware, okay, that this is about to happen, all right? And, um, and there's no, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the, the moment matters, okay? The moment matters, and you can't stay in that moment. Like Kripazan of Hunter says, as if there's no time, like you get through it quickly. You cannot be in this moment. I'm going to shield you from this moment. You're going to like jump to the other side of it before you, without going through it. Okay. And yeah, and so Amisol is almost like bypassing the moment of Bechatzos Halayla. They're like jumping ahead of it. Like they don't want to be there at Bechatzos Halayla. One last thing, guys. Bechatzos, right? We've learned this, but there's no such thing. It's also beyond the capacity to process. You see, if the night has 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., 12 hours, and I say, when is Chatzos? You say, oh, 12. But 12 what? The second of 12? So what about 12 and a second? Oh, that's already in the second half of the night. What about 11.59 and 59 seconds? Oh, it's the first half of the night. So when is Chatzos? The second of 12 o'clock. A second? Come on. A second is infinitely divisible. And half of the parts go on one side of the night and half of the parts go on the other side of the night. There is no such thing as Bachatzos. If I say, where is the middle of these fingers? In other words, this whole experience is not measurable in time. It cannot be quantified. It cannot be qualified. It, does, it is not processable, but it, it, but it has the capacity to destroy, to utterly shatter completely. And when the Egyptians picked up the pieces and said, what happened here? What, what is going on here? What is happening here? They don't know, but they're shrieking and death. And they don't even know exactly what happened. But they know something that has never happened before and is utterly terrifying is happening. And they say, get out, get out. It has to be because of you, get out, because Moshe predicted it. Something, it's like a horror film that, you know, that even in horror films, they can't quite, you know, a kind of like uh, create this sort of scene to depict this. Okay. And Am Yisrael Hashem says, it's happening, it doesn't happen in time. You're going to be on the other side of it, quick. You're not going to be in it. You're going to be protected from it because the danger to Amishol again is a different sort of danger. Oh, well, we are Amishol. We know what's best. We know, and we could turn right away into a tumma that comes from too much assumption that we're ready for something we're not ready for. And therefore, we have to go through the slow process to get to Harsina. Now, this is a lot of big ideas. What does it mean practically? I know it's a little bit late. And what do we think about at the Seder? 
So number one, I know you're all thinking lots of things and this takes time to process. I'd love to hear your, your takeaways in the, in, the, in the Q&A. But what it means is like this. It means that a Kaddish Baruch is telling us when we're ready to break through to the next level, okay, of commitment, of attachment, okay, you have to go logically and in order. We can't jump, okay? We don't jump ahead. We don't assume we understand more than we can. We always are humble and say, let me make sure I can internalize this because there's a great danger in believing that we understand things that we don't fully understand. And then that distorts the things we do understand. And that's why everyone always said, don't learn Kabbalah till you're 40, right? It doesn't just, it's just, it's not just you're wasting your time. It totally corrupts and distorts what you already know. So it's like a child be given, being given too much responsibility too soon. An 11-year-old told to, to, to um, you know, decide their gender, let's just say, okay? Or be, a, seriously, or, or um, vote. You cannot be given a capacity that you can't handle. You cannot be given a capacity you can't handle. We have to be careful with our children too, to not expect things that are too big, tell them too much, try to explain things that their brains can't work because it doesn't just, this is key, it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, it messes with everything. So it's talking in Chinuch, which is why, I mean, there's so many connections here, why the Torah, the Haggadah specifically says what you should say to each kid on their level, don't do too much. Esther? Yeah, there's so much. Yes, we're opening up so many doors and windows, yes. Esther, you know, it's, it's really very beautiful because it answers so many questions that humanity and especially the Jewish people have had for so long. Why is it taking so long for Mashiach to come? And, and why do good people suffer? And, and all these questions, why do things happen is things that we can't understand because if we did, it would be too overwhelming, but that we just have to understand that it's a process almost a poetic process of evolution of self over time protecting us. Beautiful. That one who is speaking now, as usual, is so smart, so insightful is my sister Ladina Heshi, the secret weapon sister. <laughs> Another interesting point that yes. just it dawned on me. I mean, it's something had been brewing for a while. This emphasis on Bukhorot. Actually, we, it, what gets lost in the process is in Bnei Yisrael, the Bukhorot were also supposed to be the Kohanim. But the Cheda Egel again derailed that, and therefore the whole Mishkan unfolded, and and our own and his children became the Kohanim. That wasn't the initial uh, plan, so to speak. And the fact that the Bechorot here are targeted seems to maybe pass over our own understanding of what was going on on our side. Rebecca, that's um, it's yes, your emphasis on the firstborns and this whole you know losing their rights and all that is a huge theme and there's and again there's just so much so much to think about and, and can i ask you something esther yeah okay um if there was this hipa zone and they were protected then what is actually the real hurry if i could protect them from it no no the hipa zone we said is to in, express that they're jumping over that moment they're not in the moment they are getting past it right away they are not living in the moment. They are avoiding the moment. 
They're avoiding so then the what's the hurry then? That's the concept of hurry. Quickly get they did okay. The the concept of hurry really Rav Hunter talks about this is like not to be part of time, to get ahead of time. So not to be, in other words, they want to, you know, get through, get get to the other side of it, so to speak. Okay, that's the indication of the puzzle. They didn't leave till the morning, but it was more a function, according to the Gemara. And second, look, there's a, here in the notes, in the notes, there's a Gemara that explains the morning. They really didn't walk out till the morning, but what the chipazon is, is at the moment of Bechatzos Halayla, they were in a rush to get to the other side of it. They did not want to be in the moment. They did not want to participate. They couldn't, they couldn't participate in that moment, in that time. They had to be, 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 be sort of like carried over to the other side. Esther? Yeah, yeah. Um. A, a comment and a question. The comment is, I don't know if it sheds any light here, and I'm far from being a Bucky on the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but uh, I learned once that he said that on Pesach, we have this Lechatchila, a river, meaning we have the ability to just jump over and to attain Madregas that otherwise we might not be able to attain. That ability comes to us, and it seems that that dovetails beautifully with exactly. what we said the actual process was and that we exactly. can grab on to this kayak and also the danger right. the danger right. of it but the, the question danger. i have is and my computer is about to die shortly so if i if it does continue in the q a okay okay i just don't understand it seems like you can't have it both ways if this was this overwhelming thing then why was it only the egyptian firstborn and if it was only our firstborn that have to fast Heir of Pesach, why is that? Because everybody was really saved. Okay. I, I don't firstborn, yeah. the firstborn is a big theme. Okay, a very important theme. As you know, it is a theme that starts in the beginning of Bereshus, how every firstborn loses their position and all of those type of things. The firstborn always represents the one most responsible to carrying on the legacy. And the fact is that for the Egyptians, as we were, I was trying to stress, Hashem didn't protect them. He blew their minds out. But for the Jew, the firstborns of the Jews and everybody else, okay, but um, and the firstborns were also in the Jewish nation considered also meant to be the leaders. As you know, they lost it in Cheda Egel, but they were meant to be the leaders. So primarily in terms of talking to who carries on the legacy, who's responsible to influence, they have the most responsibility and they had to be protected from the other sort of mind corruption. Well, one is mind destruction. The other one is mind corruption. So they get to Madregas, but do it safely, and um, and and uh, and and not to fall into the trap like we talked about in Menetep, who like decided that he's indistinguishable from God. That can actually happen a from fantasy, but it could actually happen literally when you see too much. Is that? Well, Moshe explains that you can only. Here's the thing: you can only internalize what you can grasp. So if they could grasp it even a little bit, it means they could internalize it. Otherwise they couldn't grasp it. So the fact that they can internalize it means they say, hey, if I can internalize it, then maybe I have shaykhahs to it. I have, I have some relationship to this. I get it, it's in me. And then it gets dangerous. Is that why the fast of the firstborn is sort of like a solid? I'm gonna end the recording because otherwise it's gonna be too big to put on the chat, but I won't end the meeting, okay? So give me a second. Stop recording. Okay, the meeting's still going.